I want to start the show tonight with huge breaking news. After flirting with it for the past two years, Joe Biden has finally, actually, tangibly, provably. Oh, wow. You guys, you guys remember. I can't even believe you remembered. Thank you so much. Wow, this is incredible. I'm sorry to interrupt the breaking news, but it is a big day for me and and the entire show here. Thank you so much. Yes, it's true. It's true. This weekend is my anniversary. It's been a whole freaking year since I put in the order for my car. We did it, everybody. We lasted a whole year. I wanted to give them a lot of money for something that rolls on four wheels, and it's been a whole year now. You know, this is such a big moment for me. You'll have to excuse the tears of joy, the tears of joy that might be falling out of my eyeballs. It's just an emotional time, you know? What a, what a journey it's been, you know? It's just that this car order and I have been through so much together. I'm actually considering getting the order number tattooed on my left butt cheek. We'll see how that goes. But as for the car itself, wherever it may be, if it exists at all, I haven't had a single problem with it. it hasn't cost me a penny and it still has extremely low mileage. That mileage being, of course, zero because I haven't driven it. Also, I've never seen it. So here's to a beautiful year, 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 a whole year without my new car. I'd like to thank the crew for their thoughtfulness and I'd like to thank Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. for all of his assistance in dragging this out as long as humanly possible. Thank you, Jolton Joe Biden. And as I'm sitting here in a puddle of emotion and chocolate sauce, I just want to make sure that you know I've realized a wonderful thing. By the time I actually get this car, it's going to be a certified classic. Fantastic. Oh, and before you go, let me show you the cake. I think you'll like it. It looks really nice. Stu does America. You could at least leave a piece. I don't know why you needed to take the whole thing. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go to get your subscription to Blaze TV. Code is Stu. Save 10 bucks. If you're watching this on YouTube right now, like the video. Click like right now. Ali Beth Sucky is going to be here today with a terrifying story out of Boston that you need to know about. CNN has an interesting take on gas prices. And by interesting, I mean stupid. But we start by doing Biden's bull chips. Yes, we have a very pun-friendly crew here. And we've used the term bull chips to describe the, the, uh, this monologue today. Why? Because we want to talk a little bit about the CHIPS Act. Now, you might think to yourself, isn't that the least of our worries? Like, isn't that the 75th worst bill that they've passed over the past couple of years? You could make that argument. I would say it's a really big piece of corporate giveaway, which I'm not a big fan of. But, of course, it's a bunch of money we don't have. But, of course, it's not going to work the way they intended. But there's more to it than that. You can't just let blatant lies just drift away into the ether. This is an important concept that we should probably learn in this country. The left has a strategy, which is to overwhelm us with so many blatant lies that we just stop even listening to them and stop even really uh, checking them. There's no more work to do on this front. We just sit back and let them all fly and they just kind of pass by us. But I don't think we should approach things that way. Let me go into the CHIPS Act a little bit. Biden 
has made a big claim about the CHIPS Act. Now, if you don't know what the CHIPS Act is, it's understandable you don't know because it only costs us like $280 billion, which is like nothing. It's almost zero dollars at this point. It was only a third of the other bill that we passed. And this one had bipartisan support, so it must be good. Uh, But, of course, Biden couldn't just take the win. And by the way, we should note, and we note on this program, no one else seems to note this, that when you pass a bill, it's not a win. The win happens if the bill works. You don't get a win for passing a bill that fails. Remember the $1.9 trillion stimulus bill that they passed and then it turned into all this inflation? Was that a win? Got it passed. Was it a win? Did he take a victory lap for that? He did take a victory lap for that, but then it turned into uh, hell. So we do not give wins out for passing bills, but this is supposedly a big win for Joe Biden. However, when he was showing off the victory, he decided to make a statement that one million construction jobs will be created by this particular act. He said investments in the chips and science law will create more than one million construction jobs alone over the next six years, building semiconductor factories in America. Mm, Very, very sexy. Uh, The the breakdown, thankfully, done by The Washington Post here on this one, although, I mean, right off, it's right on the surface here. Obviously, you're not going to get a million construction jobs like doesn't that seem blatantly impossible from a bill like this? Well, uh, that's true, but we'll explain why. And I would also like to note this came out on, let's see, August 18th, uh, once again, after the bill had already passed. So we get these fact checks occasionally, but they always come after the bill has already passed and the money's about to be spent. Uh, One million construction jobs. How many jobs is that? Well, if you take it out of the realm of this bill, what about the entire economy? What's that doing? for construction jobs. One million construction jobs in six years is what this bill is supposed to create. Before the pandemic, of course, tanked jobs, the U.S. economy took four years to create one million construction jobs from all industries, not just the semiconductor business, which is what this bill deals with. Get it? Chips. They're semiconductor chips. (laughs) None of those semiconductor chips made it to my car, though. No, just sitting there in a field somewhere. Just sitting there in a field. Probably not even tires on the thing. But it's it's somewhere and so I'm sure it'll be here any freaking day now. When we asked the White House for documentation, we were directed to a 2021 report issued by the Semiconductor Industry Association. Now. Just pardon me for asking this very basic question, but it seems to me that if you want to get an actually an honest estimate as to how many wonderful things are done buy a bill that's going to give billions and billions of dollars to the semiconductor industry. You should not ask the semiconductor industry for the legitimate upside of the bill. Something, some weird thing communicates to me that they might just give you a BS answer that sounds too good to be true. But, of course, Biden wants you to believe this is a good thing, so he's going to take their ridiculous estimate, right? Is that what he did? Is that the worst crime we're talking about here? Of course not. When we dug into the report, we could not find any reference to one million construction jobs being created. Instead, the report predicted such an investment, roughly equivalent to the CHIPS Act, would create an average of 185,000 temporary jobs annually through the U.S. economy from 2021 to 2026. The statement about one million construction jobs is not accurate, said Sarah Ravi, a spokesperson for the association. 
So now the administration is lying about this bill so much that they can't even get the semiconductor industry, who they just gifted hundreds of billions of dollars, they can't even get them to agree with their analysis. But it goes on. She directed us to a chart in the report that indicated that a $50 billion investment would create an additional, are you ready for it? 6,200 construction jobs. Sixty-two hundred construction jobs. Not a million, but sixty-two hundred. A slight, slight misstep from the administration, who not only said it publicly, but then tweeted it. Uh, eventually, they said the White House initially defended the figure, but eventually conceded it was wrong. <laughs> and you have to understand how these reports are. Like, you're trying to get a bunch of money from somebody. You just make them sound as good as possible, right? They go back to the 2011 Keystone XL pipeline debate and the Washington Post there was all over. it. They wanted to make sure immediately you knew that they didn't really create all of these jobs. But among the list of jobs that would allegedly be created by a proposed investment in wind farms, 51 dancers and choreographers. Dancers, you're going to build a wind farm that's going to create jobs for dancers and choreographers, 138 dentists. 176 dental hygienists, 100 librarians, 100 and, uh, 510 bread bakers, 448 clergy, because <laughs> lots of new people going, they just wanted to be you know, ministers when the wind farm was built, 154 stenographers, 865 hairdressers, 898 reporters, which is weird because they could actually use some reporters before these things get passed, so they wouldn't get passed. 136 manicurists, 110 shampooers, 98, I swear to you, 98 public relations people, 65 farmers, and 1,714 bartenders. Yes, your investment in wind power is going to bring 1,714 bartenders to a community near you. Congratulations, guys. We've did, done a great job once, once again. Americans uh, do not need another reason to be freaked out by the size and power of our federal government. We're spending all this money all the freaking time. Not on the heels of this new funding for the IRS to add tens of thousands of new agents. Not after the FBI's latest episode at Mar-a-Lago. And yet, a report from the New York Times has more great news about what they call, quote, a tidal wave of <laughs> pandemic fraud. Now, we've been, I've told, I could say I told you so, you could say to me, you told me so. We are all telling each other so. We all knew this was going to happen. When the pandemic checks started rolling off the press, everybody knew this was gonna happen because it's not rocket science. When you have a government that operates as if it's an unlimited checkbook and you just open up the floodgates and gush money in a panic with almost no oversight, this is kind of what you get. It's telling when even the New York Times admits that maybe this pandemic relief was a bad idea. Because remember, the Times thinks every freaking spending proposal is genius. So it's a little shocking to hear them say, quote, trillions of dollars flowed into federal relief programs. And but those dollars came with few strings and minimal oversight. The result, one of the largest frauds in American history. Hmm, is, that, is that it, really? Current U.S. Uh, national debt is over $28 trillion. You may know this. 
In 2020, our leadership approved $3.1 trillion in relief money, supposedly to help the unemployed and boost the economy. Now, last year, uh, they approved another $1.9 trillion. So now there are, this is true, 500 people from the FBI, Secret Service, IRS, Postal Inspection Service, and the offices of various inspectors general working full-time on pandemic fraud cases. 1,500 people have been charged so far, and 450 people have been convicted. But investigators say they've barely scratched the surface. The Labor Department's IG office alone has 39,000 investigations open. The Small Business Administration is working its way through 2 million potentially fraudulent loan applications. The SBA usually gets 800 calls per year to their fraud hotline. They received slightly more than 800, 148,000 calls in the first year of the pandemic. This is how dumb apparently we are. Remember that $600 unemployment benefit that the federal government offered on top of whatever amount a jobless person received from their state? Well, applicants were not even required to provide proof that they lost their job due to COVID. They just had to swear that it was true. Our government entrusted $5 trillion to the honor system. Here are some examples of the idiotic fraud that the federal government missed, according to the New York Times report. 29 states paid unemployment benefits to the same person. Good job. A Postal Service employee got $82,900 in a loan for a business called the U.S. Postal Service. Now, my guess is that would have gone through more official means. I don't know. An individual got 10 loans for 10 non-existent bathroom renovation businesses using the email address of a burrito shop. Multiple people received relief money for their farms that turned out to be nothing more than their Front yards. One scammer used pandemic relief funds to buy $57,000 in Pokemon trading cards. Actually, it was just one Pokemon trading card, which is actually really impressive. Maybe I'm in the wrong business. 342 people managed to get small business loans by listing their name as N.A. Like, not applicable. We don't have a name. Give us a loan. No one has any clue how much of the total relief money was lost to fraud. One official estimated that improper unemployment payments alone could be worth over $163 billion. That's the equivalent of, I mean, what? I mean, maybe a full week of aid to Ukraine or something like that. Look, the truth is, when our government promises something, they are lying about that thing. When they spend your money on something, it is actually being spent on something else. And even with all of this and Joe Biden sitting in the high 30s in approval rating, Republicans are probably at this point a slight underdog in the Senate. I've said it before. I will say it again. The only way Republicans can lose in November is if they screw it up. And shockingly, that is something they are very capable of. Did you hear what I was just talking about? Five trillion dollars being spent. We know of at least one hundred and sixty three billion dollars of that money just being out and out fraud. This is what your government does with your money. And you wonder why we have inflation. It is real. The CPI is at another 40 year high. The recession 
Yeah, that's real, at least how we used to measure it, unless we've changed the definition yet again. If all your money is in the market or it's tied to the U.S. dollar, you're messing with fire. It's good to be diversified. It's good to have different things to protect yourself. It's critical for you to take a hard look at diversifying your savings into gold and silver. Text STU, S-T-U, to 989898. You'll get a free information kit on how to diversify and protect your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating in the, with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, gold is the right investment to make now. Maybe you think, look, spending, you know, I don't know, five, ten trillion dollars isn't going to make much of a difference. Everything's going to be fine. What could possibly go wrong? If that's you, then maybe gold isn't the right choice uh, in your particular uh, worldview. But I will say, if you happen to think that spending $5, $10 trillion or more, if $28 trillion in debt seems like maybe a tad too much, text Stu to 989898. Get the real help you need from Birch Gold today. Do your own homework. Read this information. Text Stu to 989898 and claim your free, no obligation information kit on how to protect your hard-earned savings with Birch Gold. It's always great to have Allie Beth Stuckey here in studio. She is the host of Relatable right here on Blaze TV and author of You're Not Enough and That's Okay, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love, which is available wherever you get your books. Allie, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I want to start with this crazy story from Boston. Yeah. Uh, there is, uh, it's Boston Children's Hospital. Um, can you kind of take us through this? Because I don't think, I don't think this has hit the American mainstream yet, what's going yes. on there. So Boston Children's Hospital has a specialty clinic called GMS, which they say is the Gender Multi-Specialty Services. I think that gender or genital mutilation services would probably be <laughs> better for that acronym, but whatever. It's called GMS, and that's basically where they take minors, they take kids through their program if the children decide that they are the opposite gender. And they have videos, these informational videos that were publicly available, libs of TikTok, People probably know a big account on Twitter oh, that yeah. just kind of highlights the leftist absurdities in their own words. She got a hold of these videos, which were, again, publicly available and posted them. And so this started circulating very quickly. Several big accounts, Chris Rufo, Matt Walsh, mm -hmm. Billboard Chris, he is uh, an activist against gender ideology, just kind of amplified these and said, wow, this is going on. And what these videos said was, one doctor said that kids really know from the moment that they're born, even in the womb, that they are transgender. Not a joke. I mean, she's saying this with a straight face. This is a doctor at Boston Children's Hospital. Another doctor said kids know from the time, at least that they're toddlers and can express themselves that they're the opposite gender. Some of the signals, she said, were not wanting to get a haircut at, you know, toddler age, um, saying that they're a boy or a girl, trying to pee, uh, standing up or sitting down, using opposite gender toys. So you kind of see that uh, irony and contradiction there that they'll simultaneously say gender is totally fluid. There's no such thing as a gender toy. But also if a girl plays with a bus, she's actually a boy. <laughs> and then one of the most uh, one of the most disturbing ones, the first one that I saw was a doctor talking about something that they call, I mean, this is just so demonic, gender affirming hysterectomy where she is talking about taking out the healthy uterus, fallopian tubes, and possibly the ovaries of a girl who thinks that she is the opposite sex. Again, this is Boston Children's Hospital. 
People are obviously outraged about this. Apparently, according to NBC, who is very sympathetic towards this genital mutilation of children, is saying, oh, it's so sad. Boston Children's Hospital is getting harassed. They're getting mean phone calls. They're getting mean comments on their social media. Oh, yeah. Boston Children's Hospital came out with a statement saying, oh, you know, we condemn this. We're proud of the work we do. And oh, by the way, we don't do hysterectomies on minors. We don't do double mastectomies on minors. But there's a journalist, uh, Christina Buttons. She is a writer for Post Millennial. And she looked at uh, the data and their records. Yes, they do. They are performing some of these procedures, including castration on minor boys, double mastectomies, hysterectomies, sometimes on minor girls. There was a, a doctor out of California a couple weeks ago. This video circulated where he said that they have performed a mastectomy on a girl as young as 12 years old. Old. This is being normalized, glorified, subsidized in some cases. The genital mutilation of children. Of course, people are going to harass this hospital. I mean, it's the <laughs> least that they can do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny because the media jumped immediately to their defense. Uh, PolitiFact came out with a big fact check. Yeah. Uh, they said that they did not, you know, it does seem like they may have changed their website yes. after all of this after went down. After the reporting. Is that true? Yes, apparently. So this is, again, according to Christina Buttons. Uh, she reported on this, that this was happening at Boston Children's Hospital. She saved the PDF that was online saying that you can get a vaginoplasty, which of course is trans, uh, is a castration and trying to form like a, you know, a vagina on a boy and said that this is happening apparently, according to this PDF, as young as 17 years old. That's at least what they said online. And now they've gone into their website and changed it to 18 years old. This, uh, I, I mean, I get so it's so frustrating and infuriating. And it's it, they come up with this dual path argument where gender is the most important thing in the world yeah. and also the least important thing in the world. It, you can't track anything. Gender doesn't mean anything half the time and then it means everything yep. the rest of the time. These are not coherent arguments, but I think what's more disturbing is how mainstream sources, I believe, pretend as if they understand and agree with this. I don't yeah. think a rational person can look at this and, and say, yes, this is the right way to go. But there's some, if it's pressure, if it's uh, politics, if it's terror for their careers, I don't know what it is, but the fact that they're all lining up with this is what yeah. might be the most disturbing part. It's conservatives pounce, just like it always is. Yeah. The story is never the story to these left-wing journalists. The story is the reaction to the story by conservatives. It's similar to that Atlantic article that uh, came out the other day saying, oh, this right-wing boogeyman, which is Jane's Revenge, which has claimed responsibility on all of these arson and vandalism attacks on pro-life centers across the country. The Atlantic called it a boogeyman that, oh, the right is reacting towards this. So the story isn't the fact that there is basically a domestic terror group that is targeting pro-life centers, helping vulnerable women and children. The story is that people are mad about that. So the story in this case is not that uh, doctors are legally and making and profiting off of the genital mutilation of minors. The story apparently is that people are angry about that. And you mentioned that it's inconsistent, that it logically doesn't make sense. And, the, you know, you mentioned that they're simultaneously saying that gender is not important, that it's totally fluid, while also saying, oh, it's so rigid that if yeah. you say anything out of traditional femininity, it means that you're the opposite sex. Um, it's because it's a religion and it relies on 
dogma. It doesn't rely on reason. It doesn't rely on logic. It relies on these completely illogical maxims like trans girls are girls. They don't even have to define what girl means. Yeah. They can just repeat something like all propaganda. It's not that it's reasonable or sounds true, but that it sounds believable enough. And if you repeat it enough, people start to believe it. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's interesting. I'm reading the, uh, the new uh, Noah Rothman book, The New Puritans. And, mm. and a good part of it is talking about how the, the the religious pain and struggle of this new movement, this woke sort of agenda is the point like it's the the struggle and the pain and the and the restriction and the attack the pain of all of that is the actual purpose of it it's hmm. it is this like reverse sort of Puritan, Puritanism yeah. from back in the day when it used to be maybe so restrictive that you couldn't do anything now yeah. you can do anything and anyone who violates it is a heathen right it's like um trying to refine the culture by fire if mm. we you know push people through our furnace of punishment because they fall outside of the progressive zeitgeist then you know maybe we'll finally sanctify our culture yeah. into being their like perfect progressive utopia i mean it's like mouse cultural mm -hmm. revolution through the um, through the the public shaming and through basically eliminating any dissidents, the pain is part of the point. Yes, it's part of the process, but it's also part of the point. It is their process of sanctification towards what they think is going to be, you know, their holy city in a sense of perfection. Yeah, it's a weird world we're living in yes. right now. And we were talking before we went on the air. My, my kids went back to school this week. Uh, your daughter's going to preschool here Um you're bringing them into a very weird world. Yeah. Now. I mean, this is, is this part of the reason why you fight these battles? Because you see the future for, uh, I think, our children that, I don't know, might not be recognizable. Of course. I mean, I feel a responsibility to teach my kids who are three and one things that I don't think my parents ever thought that they really had to teach me at all. <laughs> not overtly. Yeah. Like, did you ever think that you would have to teach your kids like, okay, this is a man, this is a woman. I mean, it's so obvious and observable. They really do learn this on their own anyway. And you realize that if you've raised their kids, it's just kind of like natural for them to put people into things in things into categories, but really to catechize them and mm -hmm. to really ensure that they know what is good and right and true. You can't take anything for granted. Nothing is neutral. The reality is, is that someone is going to disciple your kids. Someone is going to place their doctrines in your kids indoctrinate your kids. Education is a form of indoctrination. If you are not the first, if you are not the primary, if you are not their main source of wisdom and teaching, someone else will be. There's not like this neutral world where they're mm. walking into public school and they're only learning reading, writing, arithmetic, and they're learning morality from their parents. No, now they're learning morality from their blue-haired social studies teacher <laughs> with a trans flag on her lapel. And so... Do, you have to be the main discipler of your kids. The left freaks out when they talk about, oh, religious indoctrination. These fundamentalist parents want to teach your kids. Oh, they're, you know, Christo-fascist, whatever it is. 
They're not actually scared of theocracy. They're not actually scared of indoctrination. They're not actually scared of religion. They just want their religion to be the one to disciple your kids. They don't want your religion to be the one to disciple your kids. So what's the answer for this? Because, you know, I have, I have a friend who's homeschooled his kids from the very beginning, and he, he's, he makes a really rational point about it, which is, you know, why is it, like, normal for me to just take my kids, wake them up, and then drop them off for 10 hours or whatever it yeah. is, and then pick them up, have dinner with them, and they go to bed? Like, yeah. why is that the level of influence for me in my kids' life? And the school is dominating their time and influence. And I think it makes a, a, a lot of sense What's the actual solution for kids? Well, I certainly believe, and I know that there are a lot of people who disagree with this, but there are fewer people who disagree with this today than even like a year ago that people need to take their kids out of public school. Mm. And I know that people say, oh, well, that's impossible for our family. Look, I talk to moms on a daily basis that their family has made big sacrifices that maybe a year or two ago they never thought that they could make, and yet they have figured it out to either homeschool their kids or just ensure in some way, whether it's private school, whatever, that they have a Christian education. I'm very thankful that I had a Christian education. I understand not everyone can go to a Christian private school, but I just think about not only the things that I did not learn by going to a secular school, but also all the things that I did learn, that I did have a foundation in the literature, in the history, in the Bible teaching that I had growing up, that still plays a huge part in just my ability of understanding the world today. I think that is a great gift. That's a great gift that we can give our kids today. Yeah, I, when we first started our kids in, in private school, I remember thinking like, you know, look, we'll see what happens here. I don't know if I'm gonna have a job in a year, who knows? Now it's the best money that I spend every year. Right. And I, I would live under anything. a bridge to, to keep them there. because That's it, what my dad always said. He was like, if I had to work the night shift at Walmart to make sure that my kids got a Christian education, I'd do it. It's really, really important. All right, I, I, we're running late here, but I have one more I have to get to with you. I haven't talked to you since the Dobbs case. Yeah. Yeah. Since Roe versus Wade is overturned. Yeah. You know, I came at this as, you know, it's been an important issue for me for a long time. I know with you as well. And I honestly had very little confidence I'd ever see the day of that this would happen. What was your reaction to this? I mean, take me through it. Gosh, overwhelming. When I really took a step back and realized what has led to this, I think so. We're, we're such microwave people in that, like we want things so quickly. We think that these huge seismic cultural changes can happen just like in the next midterms <laughs> right. or something. Yeah, yeah. But when you think about the pro-life issue, when you think about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we're talking about 50 years plus, 50 years of activism, 50 years of advocacy, 50 years of pregnancy centers, um, working on behalf of these women and children, uh, 50 years of pro-life legislators, of individuals standing up for what is good and right and true in the face of threats, in Mm. the face of vitriol. You're talking 50 years of torch passing. So give that a little bit of perspective. The things we're talking about today, for example, the terrible mutilation of children, we want that to change tomorrow. I pray to God that it does. But let us have hope in the fact that God is sowing the seeds today to possibly make huge seismic changes, maybe in our grandchildren's generation. But what we do today matters, not because it might deliver us instant results, but one, because it's right, because it's true, because it's good, um, but also because that change can happen in years from now. And so that gives me a lot of hope. I'm very, very thankful it happened. I mean, we've got a long road ahead in all 50 states almost, 
um, in some ways when it comes to legislation. But I'm just thankful there's a lot of bad in this country, a lot of indications that we're not going in the right direction. This was an act of mercy and justice by God. And I'm thankful for that. Oh, me too. I, I, you know, I keep hearing people say, well, you know, they, the left is going to take this abortion issue and they're going to turn it into a midterm win. And like, I don't necessarily believe that. But if that's true, I'd trade that a thousand times. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, totally. uh, like I, I, I look, winning elections is great. Yeah. Why do you win elections, though? You win elections so that yeah. good change like this can happen. Exactly. Uh, Ali Dasaki, of course, a host of Blaze TV's Relatable, author of You're Not Enough and That's OK, Escaping the Toxic Culture of Self-Love. Make sure you uh, listen to the podcast and pick up the book as well. Ali, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I was talking to Glenn Beck this morning on the radio program. We were in a break and we were talking about some of the things that have been going on because we've noticed the ESG standard thing has become a big thing now. Now there's a pushback against it. Companies are bailing on it. We have a new fund that has started. We've talked about here on the program. He's got a great podcast about that this weekend that is pushing back against all these environmentally crazy things they're trying to do through investment standards. And it seems like we've seen this, I feel like we've seen this movie before, where no one really ever heard of ESG. You know, Glenn started talking about it. We started talking about it here at The Blaze. It, the profile rose up, and all of a sudden, these things kind of went away. We kind of were tracing back the history. You know, we've been doing this show together for a very long time. And we may get into this on, on Monday's radio program. But you think about all the stuff that we've kind of, as an audience, have been together uh, through together. I mean, you know, the rise and fall of something like Common Core, for example, or, uh, you know, Agenda Agenda 21 is another one. Um, you know, we cover it on this program, the New York Times, their analysis of why the abortion uh, law went down, why laws changed, why there was an overturn of Roe versus Wade. They blame 2010. That was the Tea Party election year. Um, that was their analysis, not mine. And of course, that was the biggest wave uh, election in a century. Um, you know, all of these things and much, much more we've been through together. And so, you know, we're going to go over maybe that a little bit deeper, because I think at times we forget at times we think to ourselves, we've tried all this stuff and nothing works. And it's like, well, maybe some stuff does work. You know, maybe we've maybe some of the stuff has worked over the years and we should be happy about that. None of this would have been possible without you. And uh, I want to say thank you for that, uh, being kind of with us all of this time. It really means a lot. If you happen to be listening maybe only to the radio show, maybe you catch this on Pluto TV or on YouTube. Um, first of all, click like if you're on the YouTubes. We always appreciate that. But if you're listening somewhere and you're not a paid subscriber, that's totally great. That's actually totally fine. And we love you for doing that. Uh, no pressure. We love that you keep doing it. We ask you to keep doing it. It would be great. I think, you know, this audience... When all of every, you know, when everyone's been working together in this audience, we've been able to move mountains, and it's been really, really incredible. If you'd like to join uh, as a subscriber, we would love that as well. It does help us do all these investigations and all the stuff that we do here at The Blaze. It's blazetv.com slash stew. If you go there and use the promo code stew, you'll save 10 bucks, and we'd love you to do that as well. I mean, since Joe Biden is taking money out of your pocket constantly due to inflation, maybe you should keep that $10. But if you'd like to join and be a member, blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew.
Another way that we support these broadcasts and all the stuff that we do here at The Blaze is through our sponsors. And one of the sponsors you may be familiar with is realestateagentsitrust.com. Now, of course, this is Glenn's company. He started it years and years and years ago, probably around the, around the Tea Party time, I guess. It's, it's been a while. And he started it because he was trying to sell one of his uh, homes. Uh, you know, he's like uh, Dr. Oz. He's got like homes all over the place. No, uh, we were moving. And uh, he was selling his home and he was having a problem selling it. And he realized, you know, I don't know if I have the best real estate agent. And, you know, look, that's a big transaction for anybody. It's the biggest. Almost every time you buy or sell a home, it's the biggest transaction you're ever involved in. Because as you get older, maybe you're spending a little bit more on a home and it just seems to escalate throughout your life. Not to mention the market keeps going up. So make sure you nail this with the best real estate agent you can find. And you can find that person at realestateagentsitrust.com. They'll hook you up with the information and get you to the right person in your area, no matter where you live, realestateagentsitrust.com. Fewer voters are identifying as insane. Uh, oh, sorry, liberal. I misread that. Uh, fewer voters are identifying as liberal. That has fallen from 2017 to 2022. It's dropped from 34% to 27 percent. Thanks, AOC. If you're a liberal, I'm sure you're loving the way that they're handling things right now. Now, those identifying as conservatives, you might say, well, Donald Trump and uh, Ron Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Uh, Actually, those identifying as conservative rose from 38 percent to 39 percent. So big gap there. Uh, Voters identifying as moderates or uncertain about their ideological affiliation have increased. And that seems to be a pattern. I think, you know, as the two parties sort of grow apart from each other even more and more, as the two, you know, as I would argue, the left goes even farther left. The right, I don't know. Are they going farther right? I mean, maybe some elements of the right are, I think, a lot of times, I mean, certainly on spending, you don't see that. <laughs> the right just embraces almost every piece of spending on the left now. So I don't know where they're going uh, ultra right. But as the, the split becomes wider and wider, the people who are legitimately in the middle, like people who just you know, maybe either don't pay super close attention to politics or are just, you know, very moderate, they just get annoyed by everybody. And so more and more people kind of come to that middle ground, even if the policies are more insane, I would argue, on the left than they are on the right. People just don't want to be associated with anybody anymore. So things are going well. Uh, Joe Biden, I think, has really healed us. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Now, Biden is uh, luckily, thankfully, taking another well-deserved vacation at a beach house in uh, Delaware. And that's very exciting. And he's only uh, he's going to be building the wall. I mean, he's not building the wall on the southern border. Of course, he's building the wall at his house. Five hundred thousand dollars of taxpayer funded security fence, which is great because it does point out that he does actually realize that walls work. He doesn't apply that knowledge to your safety, but he does apply it to his own. So at least he knows it's true or somebody around him knows that it's true. You know, having a security fence, probably a good idea when you're trying to defend something valuable like your family, like your home, like yourself, like your country. Kind of works all together, doesn't it? And CNN, you know, you know that CNN we, we, we lost Brian Stelter yesterday. Very, very sad. He's going to be leaving the network. Last show on Sunday. Make sure you tune in. Um, but it, it, they, they tend to see things in a way typically that favors Joe Biden. Let me give you a great example of this. This is a real tweet, by the way. Next time you stop at a gas station, think of it as a $100 a month tax cut or maybe a $100 a month raise. 
Now, there are so many things wrong with this, I can't even begin to describe them. Namely, and most importantly, gas prices are way, way, way up from normal. They're way, way, way up from when Joe Biden took over. They're way, way, way up from a year ago. They're up, 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 unless you compare them to the worst time in American history. So the thing the Biden administration continually starts to brag about is, hey, we turned the worst situation in history into the second worst situation in history. That's not something you typically brag about. But secondly, uh, how are you saving $100 every time you fill up? Next time you stop at a gas station, think of it as $100 a month tax cut. I guess they're saying if you're going to fill up a bunch of times, uh, it would add up to $100 over a month. But only $100 from the worst time we've ever seen in our history. That, my friends at CNN, not something to brag about. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We'd appreciate it. Uh, five stars is the appropriate number of stars. After you click subscribe, do some rating, do some reviewing. Put in a little work if you don't mind. I mean, just, just click around. It's, it's really, really fun. Uh, also, you can watch every show on YouTube if you're listening on or watching on YouTube right now. Click like, drop a comment below, an algorithmic engagement comment that helps the algorithm, algorithm robots uh, fight their wars. And then we hopefully win that side of the war and more people see the show. Uh, Autumn writes in, Stu, I don't want to eat salads. Also, Stu, I'm a vegetarian. And this is, first of all, a very good observation. And second of all, uh, somewhat of a, a misconception about uh, being a vegetarian. People think vegetarian means healthy. But I, 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 I give you fettuccine Alfredo, for example, uh, mac and cheese, uh, uh, cheese pizza, um, every dessert on the planet. And you can really be a total fat ass as a vegetarian. So don't worry, you can, you can do it, America. <laughs> I've done it, you can too. Um, by the way, it's time, on that note, for Stu Eats America. Yes, Stu Eats America, one of our favorite segments on this program. We try to do it on Fridays to give you a, new, a picture of the, what capitalism has brought us as far as tasty treats. Today, Pop-Tarts, Ego Frosted Maple Flavor. Now, it's an interesting idea. Obviously, you got a breakfasty type of flavor here from a Pop-Tart, which is kind of good. You know, I don't know. I like waffles. I like Pop-Tarts. So let me try. Now, obviously, when you're taste testing a Pop-Tart, first thing you got to do is break it in half. Because if you start eating on one side, you'll have nothing but dry, uh, tasteless crumbs for four or five bites. So let's go to the middle here. Nice little uh, yellow frosting. It's crumbling all over the table. Let's try it out. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't say it tastes like a waffle. There's a little bit of a syrup flavor in it. Um, look, if you're going to have breakfast and you want waffles, what you should do is eat a waffle. Uh, that's, that, that's what I would say. I'm going to give these a D plus. They're, I mean, look, they're edible. You could get through them, but they're not amazing. This one I am very excited about, though. We talked about this earlier this week on the show. Uh, a, a delicious beverage to try. Today, it's Coca-Cola Dream World. What the hell is Coca-Cola Dream World? I don't know. It's supposed to take like, taste like dreams. And we're going to give it a shot here. D plus for the egos. Let's try this one. Mmm, it's a, fr a fruity essence. A fruity essence for Coca-Cola. This is the Coke, Coke Zero version. Uh, Dream World Limited Edition. Let's give it a shot. I'm getting paid for this, by the way. This is my job. 
It's definitely a little bit of a fruity vibe. It's almost like a little bit of an orange essence. I don't know. I, I will say it's not bad. Is it in every... I like it better than the, the... What was it? Starlight was the last one we tried. I'll give this one a... I'll give it a B- minus on a quick taste test. So, I mean, a B- minus for the Coke. Uh, zero Dream World. A D plus for the Pop-Tarts Egos. And an A-plus for me. What a great job I did this week. We'll see you Monday.